Awesome, you guys can be seated. And that's our heart, man, is to be a church that's missional, is to be a church that's sending people. We don't want to be a church that just meets on a Sunday morning, right? I mean, I, I pray that if you came to this church, you didn't come just to attend a service once a week. I pray that you have come here because you're seeking something real and something that the Lord's trying to do in your life and we're trying to do through your life. Because I want to tell you this morning, if you're a believer in Christ, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, he has a plan for your life, not just to not just to change you so that you can attend a service on a Sunday, but to, to move your life into action. And so this morning, I pray that's our heart is that we would see that because that's the, that's the goal of this series that we're in right now. It's called Kingdom Culture um, is, the, is the name of this series. And we're going through this series today. We're going to be, this is the fifth week of this series, and we're only in chapter two. Great, right? And so um, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 to 23 today. If you want to go ahead and turn there, we'll be looking at the second half of Colossians 2, the second half of Paul's argument uh, to the church. And so what's going to happen, what we're seeing is this series is challenging us to evaluate our lives to see if we're living under the authority of the king that we claim we serve. Because how many of us know in, in, the, in the United States of America, it's very common to put on your Facebook, I'm a Christian, Right? Because we're a Christian nation, right? We're, we, we love Jesus. Not, I, don't, I mean, the worst of us would say, I'm a follower of Jesus, right? How, is that true? Well, look at scripture. Is that true? Because anyone who is in Christ, I want to show you this morning what we see in the theme verse in Colossians 1. We looked at this a few weeks ago. The theme verse of this whole series is, is he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his, the son he loves. That's the theme of what we're looking at, that transference that happened whenever you came into Jesus. And it, what, what that means is anyone who's in Christ has been transferred from the kingdom of this world of sin and darkness and been transferred into the kingdom of light, which is the son of God. And what happened, guys, is this transference, this transference that happened wasn't, wasn't uh, meaningless. It, wasn't, it was on purpose. Like God had a plan. And so if you're in Christ, there's a culture that we read about in scripture that should define your life. What we look, that's what we're looking at in this series. And so many Christians have, have been satisfied with claiming the name of Jesus while just attending a church service or a connect group maybe once a week thinking that that's what identifies a Christian. And as a Christian, I want to tell you this morning, as a member of God's kingdom, know this, your primary purpose on this earth is to see God's glory go out from your life and into the world and spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ to all nations. That's your purpose. And if that's not the purpose that you're living on, I want to explain to you very clearly this morning that you're not living in God's will. And my heart today is that we would see that we will never fill the earth with God's glory by just coming to church on a Sunday morning. This made me really think about my life and my home life and my church life and ask the question if a stranger were to look at my life and would they see a, a people, would they see a person who is living their life to see God's name made famous where it's not? Would they see me living out a kingdom culture? And that's my question for us today is if we're declaring the, to the world that Jesus rose from the dead, rose from the grave and he defeated death and sin and rose into heaven and coming back one day, do we live our lives like that's true? Because there's a lot of people that form the church that don't live like that's true. They say that that's true, but their lives speak another message, right? Because the world needs to see a proclamation of the gospel, and we need to see a demonstration that matches that proclamation. That's what we're going to see today in Colossians 2. 
The Colossian church was being tempted to add things to the gospel, to live a a man-centered life, focused on more knowledge and more spiritual experiences. And I want to tell you this morning, as we get going here, is the center of the gospel is not an experience. It's not more spiritual knowledge or insight or theology or wisdom. The center of the gospel is Jesus. Jesus, knowing and loving Jesus and obeying Jesus. And that's what Paul is writing. He's writing this letter to refute the teachings of the Gnostics and to reestablish Jesus as the center of the church. But as we saw last week, this is something that the church still struggles with. And last week we saw Paul addressing the heresy saying, no, 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 no. You continue in Christ just as you came to Christ by grace through faith, right? That's, you come that way. And so today we're going to see that part two of last week. We're going to see Paul dig a little deeper into this rebuke of the Colossian church. He's saying, you're a part of a new kingdom now, but you're living like you're still a part of the old one, right? And so stop doing that, right? So we, some of, we try to complicate it. Well, I've got to get up at five, read my Bible, pray, do all these things to turn my life around. I got to get more discipline. got to do all these things. The problem in those sentences that I just spoke that we like to think or do is it starts with I, right? It starts with me. Jesus is the center. The major thing that we're gonna look at today is the sufficiency of Christ. The sufficiency of Christ in all things, even in our changing, changing my ways, changing my life, starts with Christ, not me. And so let's pray to that end today. Let's pray as we jump in. So God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for all that you're doing, God. We saw, we saw an example of your faithfulness this morning. It's commissioning our Connection Church, Richmond Hill. God, we love them. We're sending them, God, with you. And I pray, God, that they would just be uh, just successful in the, in, the, in the endeavor to carry the mission to Richmond Hill. I pray for this morning. God, I pray for our hearts that we would respond to the gospel, Lord, that we would not be satisfied with just sitting under the teaching of the Bible and not responding to it. Father, I pray this morning that people would be saved, that people would know you and understand what it means to be saved. Lord, I pray that people would just come out of religion and legalism today, Father. That our relationship with you is not based on a list of rules and regulations to keep, but on an intimate relationship with you, Jesus, where we're exalting you. Lord, come and be with every word that is spoken. God, hide me behind your word and behind your cross. God, may you increase and may I and may we decrease. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I always like to start off everything with a kind of a, a question. Um, who remembers their first job? Some of you like, I just started my first job, right? Who remembers your first job? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. I, my first job was a groundskeeper for the Bullock County Board of Parks and Recreation in Statesboro, Georgia. That's where I was at. I ran a weed eater like, like a madman. That was great. I could do a lot of things with that weed eater. I could, I, and I, messed, I almost got fired a couple of times because I was so creative, right? Well, I got, I got paid minimum wage at the time. It was $5.15. Some of you are like, whoa, whoa, you're old, right? I am. I just turned 40. It's okay. You'll get there if you're not there yet. So $5.15, right? And I was that coming. I was 18 years old. I was like, I'm rich. I got money. I got more than my $20 allowance that my parents were giving me. But I knew that if I worked eight hours a day for Monday to Friday, my paycheck was going to be $206 before the government took all their money, right? I knew that I would get this much money every week because I worked eight hours a day, five days a week. I'm going to get this because I put in the time. And so my ability to get that money, so pay attention, my ability to get that money was based on my ability to, my work ethic and my ability and my willingness to put in the work. You see what I'm saying? I, I, if I do this, I'm going to get this, right? We all understand that? So after I graduated college, I realized that I could make $20 an hour. I was like, what? 
pay raise, right? So, and so if I worked eight hours a day for five days, I made $800 that week. It, life was good. I could eat a lot of frozen pizza that week, right? I was excited about that. I was amazed. I was like, man, look at all this money. And then I, I was wondering where I went after the week was over. I was living paycheck. It was, it was, that's, that's stewardship's all another topic. We'll talk about it later. But what this taught me is if I put in the work, I get the reward. Can we agree with that? I was in control of my money. I was in control of my life. I was in control of my security. I was in control of things in my life. And so this is the American dream, is it not? Like if I, if I work hard enough, I'll be successful. If I work hard, put the time in, I'll be successful. And I want to tell you this morning that this is backwards from the kingdom of God. Okay? The kingdom of God, the kingdom culture that we're talking about is upside down and backwards from the world's culture. And that's why when you come into a new culture, you have to learn the systems, the processes, the government structure, all these things. Because in this kingdom, the kings paid my ransom. The debt that I owed him because of my sin, I didn't have to pay. Try doing that in your government system that you live in. Be in jail, right? Be in trouble. My king paid my ransom. In this kingdom, the king paid your ransom and my ransom. The gospel is that Jesus took my place so that I could legally and freely come before him as a son. Not as a citizen, as a son. As a son and a daughter for, for you ladies out there. I could, I could be what I was created to be. There was no more sin getting in the way. There no more, sin no longer controlled me because because my king had set me free from this law of sin and death that he drew me out of. I was a part of the domain of darkness that we just talked about in Colossians 1. You're a part of the domain of darkness before Christ comes in. I'm dead in my sin. When I say, hey, Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior, and I'm following you. I'm going to obey you. I trust in you alone for my salvation. He picks me up, transfers me into the kingdom of God, a new culture, a new king. No longer do I have to follow sin anymore because Jesus has defeated that. And guess what? I get the benefit for the work that my father did. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. It's a great deal. For those of you that don't want to come to Christ this morning, I'm telling you, you're missing out on a great deal. It's an eternal deal, right? Because let me tell you, legalism, legalism, we'll talk about what that definition is in a second. Legalism and religion, listen to this, are symptoms of a misunderstanding of our identity in Christ. Legalism and religion are the symptoms of a misunderstanding of our identity in Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The enemy, you have an enemy. I want to always say this. If you try to follow Christ or if you don't try to follow Christ, you have an enemy because you bear the image of God. If you're a Christian in this room, Satan's trying to get you to question, am I really saved? Am I not saved? Am I saved? Am I not saved? Let's go around spinning in wheels here. If you're not a Christian in here, he's trying to get you from seeing Jesus. He's trying to blind your eyes. So there's the importance here. The enemy is always coming after your identity. Oh, you're not that good. You're not a Christian. You know, Christ, you sinned. You, look what you did. Look what you said. Look what you, look what you didn't do. You, you've, you've done this. You haven't been in church in four weeks. You haven't read your Bible in three months. What's happening? You're not, are you even saved? He's trying to come at your identity. Are you a son of God? And legalism, if you're caught in legalism or religion today, those are red flags that you're struggling with your identity. This morning, if you're struggling with a rule, a list of rules or regulations to follow, or you're feeling guilty because you haven't done the certain things the right way, you might be struggling with legalism or religion, and that's a red flag 
that you're struggling with your identity and you need to bring your identity back under alignment with Jesus. Okay? Can we get out of this baseline this morning? Okay, cool. So legalism, let's, let's give you a definition. It'll be on the screen. Uh, it's this. Tri- it's, kind of, it's, 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 it's a little educational. It's just, this is what John Piper said, so I just followed his lead. Okay? Legalism is treating biblical standards of conduct as regulations to be kept by our own power in order to earn God's favor. I'm trying to earn God's favor by what I do. Anybody ever fell into that before? Yeah. One or two of us? Okay. We can get together, have a support group. I'm trying to earn favor by what I do. That's unbiblical. Some of you are like, wait a minute. Stop. I've been taught this my whole life. I go to church. I read. God loves me. Right? I pray. I love my wife. God loves me. That's not the way the Bible teaches. This is upside down and backwards. It's treating biblical standards. If I follow this, God will love me. And you're all the time, you're all the while, you're missing Jesus, right? You're missing him. You're looking at the rules and worshiping the rules and not the rule giver. So unfortunately, what's happened, people have always gravitated towards religion and legalism to draw closer to God or to earn salvation. And that's what we're going to see today in part two of Colossians 2. And so religion and legalism, guess what? They don't bring us to God. Can I just set that baseline? Religion and legalism do not bring you closer to God. Okay? Being good enough isn't enough to satisfy the terms of justification required to save you. Right. You hear what I'm saying? The, what, being good enough, understanding the things I need to do, the things I don't need to do. I'm not going to cuss. I'm not going to beat my wife. I'm not going to say these certain things. I'm not going to do these things so that God will love me. That will never, even if you followed it perfectly, it will never be good enough to satisfy the terms of your justification to save you. Do you see that? That's what drives you to Jesus because he's enough. And so what I want to see and show this morning, attending church, performing these religious rituals, doesn't make you a Christian. Okay? So that's, that's the baseline. So let's read verse 16 to 23 together this morning. It's kind of a short eight-verse passage. And it says this. Therefore... There's a therefore, so we need to look with us. Yeah, I'm not going to say it. So Paul had just gone through these eight or ten verses showing you what Christ has done for you, right? He's showing you that you're free in Christ, part of a new kingdom. You're you're in Christ if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus. There's maybe some of you in here this morning that aren't Christians, that don't know Christ. There's some of you in here this morning that have been following a religion, thinks that's going to save you, but you've never met Christ. I'm praying for you this morning that you would meet Christ What he's saying, because of what Christ has done, verse 16, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food or drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. He's he's pointing out the Judaizers. He's he's pointing out these Gentile Jews who are saying, to be saved, you got to be circumcised. To be saved, you got to not eat this. You got to eat this. You got to recognize this new moon festival. Make sure you're recognizing the Sabbath day and keeping it holy. Right? Can I just tell you this morning that that command of the Ten Commandments is the only command that's not repeated in the New Testament because Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath? Jesus says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath? Okay, listen another day, another time. Right? Verse 17. These, these are a shadow of what was to come, but the substance is Christ. You see what I'm saying? These things were like what was to come. Jesus is the substance. Let no one condemn you by delighting in aesthetic practices and the worship of angels claiming access to a visionary realm. Such people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual minds. 
He doesn't hold on to the head. The head is Christ, from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, grows with growth from God. Verse 20. If you died with Christ, if, there's a, that word if is the biggest word in the Bible. If. If you died with Christ. If you died with Christ to the elements of the world, why do you live as you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to its regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. They are human standards and doctrines. Although these have reputations for wisdom, my, my, by promoting self-made religion, false humility, and severe treatment of the body, listen to this, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. Think about this. You should ever struggle with looking at pornography in your life or smoking or drinking. Focusing on the pornography or the smoking or the drinking, guess what it's going to do? It's going to drive you to the pornography, the smoking, and the drinking. You focus on Jesus, and he outshines all those things, right? He said, these things, don't touch. I'm not going to touch it. I'm not going to touch it. I'm not, uh, right? You're like, it's like, don't touch the red button. Who's going to touch the red button? I am, right? You focus on Jesus, and he outshines these things. And so I want to I dissect these verses. Is that cool? Okay, cool. So verse 16 and 17. We're going to do it anyway if it's not cool. Verse 16 and 17. It says, Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or of a new moon or Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. And so Paul was saying, as I said before, therefore, since Christ has accomplished everything for us, it's holistic. There's nothing left to accomplish. Nothing you can add to Jesus' work to save you anymore or make you any more holy. It's finished. You're new in Christ. Therefore, everything is accomplished. So he brings in this. So he just, he just went through about how Jesus had made you alive in Christ and given you a, made you a new people. He's given you a new identity, being members of a kingdom race, citizens of a, a new country. And all of our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. Hallelujah, man. How can the church not be fired up? Listen. And the warrant that was out against you, hey, go find this person that he sent is going to hell. Oh, my God. This makes me, gives me chill bumps thinking about that. He tore it up on the cross. Made a public spectacle of his enemy on the cross. Christ fully satisfied the righteous demands of God on our behalf. And now we're freed from the curse of the law and the demonic powers that love to torment you and torment me with guilt. Everybody ever struggled with guilt before and shame? Look what you did. Look who you are. He's freed you from that, and he's freed you from legalism. You don't have to do anything else to, to except live in freedom in him and obey what he's telling you to do. Walk in Christ. Galatians 5.1, Paul says this. He echoes this in another book. He says, it's for freedom's sake that Christ has set you free. That verse is way too simple for a lot of you theologians. Why did Christ set you free? For freedom. That's why I tell my son all the time, hey, daddy loves you. I love you too. I say, you know why I love you? He says, just cuss. I was like, that's exactly right. <laughs> just cuss. Just cuss. Hey, for freedom's sake, he sets you free because he loves you. Because he loves you. So then he says, stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. So since you've been set free, stand firm because you know these things are going to try to come at you. You have an enemy, right? You've been set free from the power of sin. You don't have to fall anymore. Sin's not your master, but you have an enemy trying to drag you back into the lies. Stand firm that you don't fall back into that yoke of slavery. It doesn't mean that you'll lose your salvation, but it means that Satan is trying to oppress you 
and trying to hold you back from being all that God wants you to be. So what I want to show you this morning is legalism and religion, they're a yoke that is used by the enemy to keep you from walking in your new kingdom identity. And I would be willing to suggest this morning that there's probably over half of us in here this morning that have believed a lie and are under a yoke. It's because of our cultural Christianity, our American Christianity. Everybody's a Christian, right? They've never understood the freedom of following Christ the way God has meant it for us to follow Christ. Paul says, don't go under a yoke again. You weren't under that. Now you're free. Go be free because for freedom's sake. Legalism and religion, they both have this illusion of being useful, but they always end up in slavery. Do you see that? If I do these things, God will love me. If I do these things, I'll be more free. But they always end in slavery. They always end in a yoke of slavery on your neck. This morning, there's been so much pushback on this message. Yesterday, I struggled on Wednesday. I struggled on Thursday. I struggled on Friday. I struggled yesterday. I struggled this morning. I was still writing this message when I got here. God's, God is moving in this vein of freedom in our church and in a lot of churches around us. I think God is sifting the church. I think God is moving in the church. And I think it's our job to pray that our eyes will be open and follow him the way he's calling us to follow him. Because guess what, guys? Human nature, we all have a human nature. It thrives in a system of legalism. Our human nature thrives in a system of legalism and religious duties because the flesh is weak when it comes to doing spiritual things, right? I know it's hard to pray for someone's healing. It's hard to pray for, for these things that are spiritual, because it, 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 I have to depend on God and not myself. Anybody struggle with pride in here? Yeah, me. Yeah. 10 out of 10 people, all of us, we all struggle with pride, right? Probably the fact that more of you didn't raise your hand probably proves my point, <laughs> right? We all struggle with pride in this room. All do. The flesh is weak. We need the Holy Spirit. We need him. It's not like, oh, I'm just not going to go to that type of spirit-filled church. This is not my thing. I'm going to go over here where it's a little more lighthearted and not so spiritual. That's dumb. The Holy Spirit, you need the Holy Spirit for life and vitality in the church. Yes. The, the Holy Spirit is the power that God uses in the church to move it along. But guys, the flesh is strong when it comes to practicing religious rules, right? Look at me. I can preach. I can teach. I know the Bible. I love you. You love me. We're together. Uh, look at how good I'm doing. Adhering to religious rules. I haven't, haven't sinned in two weeks. I, I had a conversation with a person, you know, three or four months ago. They're not here anymore, so I can say. But, I mean, she shared with me. She hadn't backslidden in 38 years. I was like, holy moly. You're, I need to, let's get some discipleship going on here. Yeah. But let me tell you, that inflates and, and puffs us up. Makes Look how good I'm doing. I, I pray in the Spirit. I memorize the whole Bible. I do all these things. What does that sound like? It sounds like a Pharisee, yeah. right? They wear, their, they wear their beautiful attire, and they stand before you and preach down to you. Jesus came and condemned them, right? He called them whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, dead on the inside. That's where religion will get you. And Paul hits this head on. He, he even reminds us of it would happen in Antioch. Remember Antioch, Acts 15, when the Gentiles were coming to Christ, Cornelius was filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're like, what is happening? These are the Gentiles. They're not supposed to have God. Like, we are the chosen race. We are the Jews. We are the chosen of the world. We're supposed to stand out among the rest. The Judaizers said, unless you're circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you can't be saved. And Peter and Paul are like, 
Hold on a second. Holy Spirit is confirming that they're saved. They don't need anything else, baptism, circumcision, nothing else. The Holy Spirit confirms they're saved. That, then they'll stop. And Paul dealt with this same issue in, in Galatia and Corinth and Ephesus. And guys, we deal with this too. We do. We deal with the same issues. And I can see it in our church. I can see it try to pop up in my life, in my heart, in my home. If I'm good enough, if I read enough, if I pray enough, if I serve enough, if I speak in tongues, or if I prophesy, or if I know enough theology, I'll win God's favor. Right? That's legalism, and that's religion. The laws, the, the festivals, the Sabbath days, all these things were pointing to Christ. They weren't meant to be followed to a T, just like the law in the Old Testament was meant to show them that they could not follow these 10 laws. There was 10. I couldn't even follow 10 laws. Like, Jesus upped in the Sermon on the Mount said, if you even look at a woman in lust, you've committed adultery with her in her heart. If you hate a brother or sister, you've committed a murder. Well, now I'm a, I'm a liar. I'm a murderer. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a fornicator. I'm all these things, and I need Jesus. Yeah. And that's what it does. It shows you what you need. The Bible and the law is a mirror to show you that you need Jesus. Yes. Galatians 3, 23 and 20 to 26. You can write this down. It'll be on the screen, I believe. It says, before this faith came, before Jesus came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming of Jesus, the faith, was revealed. Yes. The law then was our what? What does it say? Our guardian. The law was our guardian until what? Till Christ. So that we could be justified by faith. But since the faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. We don't need a guardian because Jesus is here. Yeah. Right? For through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. How beautiful is that? Yes. Some of us this morning are getting a little nervous in here. It's like, wait a minute, you telling me my systems and my processes are not good? Oh, wait, wait a minute. You mean all I have to do is trust Jesus and love him and do what he says and just, just live in freedom with the church and love the church? And yeah, that's all you got to do. But it comes against our flesh, right? Paul says these things are only a shadow of what was to come. Christ is the substance. If you look deeper in this scripture, the word shadow um, is the Greek skia, and it's an image that's cast by an object that represents its form, right? It's an object, it's an object that's cast that's, that represents its true form. The word substance here in, in, in what we're looking at in Colossians 2 is, is soma. It literally means body. And so what the Old Testament foreshadowed the mystery of Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory, Jesus now revealed. And we, it, Paul says, you know, you know what they, they had hoped for, they prayed for, it's now a, a legitimate reality for us in Christ. We can now see it as one with eyes unveiled is what the Bible says. We can see Christ clearly because of what Christ has done. I don't need the law anymore. I don't need to follow rules and regulations. I've seen the honor of Christ. Right? This is, Romans 6, it doesn't give you a right to go back into sin by no means. Right? They were asking the question, should I sin that grace may abound? No, that, that, you, you're, you're not listening, right? No, I don't, I don't go on sitting that grace may abound. I, I follow Christ. I love him. I try, I'm, I'm holy because he's holy. And I do what my father says, right? Jesus came to fulfill what these represented. represented, represented. So Matthew 5, verse 17, Jesus confirms this. He says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets, I didn't come to abolish it, but to what? Fulfill it. I've come to fulfill the law because you couldn't do it. I needed to fulfill it so you could live in freedom. 
And so, guys, let me tell you, it would be foolish to follow the shadow after the one who casts the shadow arrives. You know how crazy that would look? Right? If, if my son saw my wife's shadow coming up the stairs and he saw her and then he started chasing after her shadow like, Mommy, I'm like, bro, we got to take you to the hospital. Like, you, you acting crazy right now. Like, this is weird. Like, and a lot of people do that in the church. Let's keep reading. Verse 18. Let no one condemn you. The, the actual literal translation is let no one disqualify you by delighting in aesthetic practices. Aesthetic practices is like extreme discipline. Don't eat. Don't touch. I'm not... I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm holding, I'm going to make sure I'm going to do these things. Aesthetic practices. We're mad here. Here we go. And the worship of angels. They believe they had to worship angels to get to God. It was like a hierarchy thing. Worship the angels, get to Jesus after that, right? It was, it was a hierarchy. Worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm. Such people are inflated with empty notions of their unspiritual mind. He doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons grows with growth from God. It says, let no one disqualify you. Why? Why does he say that? Because back in Colossians 1.12, he says, Christ has qualified you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. So don't let anybody disqualify you because God has qualified you. And what God has qualified you in, nobody can disqualify you in. Paul's referring to the false teachers who want to lead them into these legalistic practices as, they want, as a way to gain access to God. And so they had forgotten the prize. The prize is Christ. The, the end goal of your faith is Jesus. They had forgotten that, that that's the goal, is, is Christ. Think about this. Ephesians 5, it compares our relationship with Jesus to what? A marriage, right? It, 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 it represents our relationship with Jesus as a marriage. And imagine for a moment a man who went to his wedding... And it was perfect. Like the food was world class. The cake was 10 tiers high. It was beautiful, right? The, the venue was perfect. The flowers were beautiful. The food was amazing. The music, like there was the best band there playing. The decor was perfect, but there was one problem. His bride didn't show up. This man will be treated, cheated. It will be cheated out of his prize. Because it's not about the decorations or the food or the music. It's about the bride. Right? No matter how cool the experience would have been, the wedding would have been meaningless without the bride. And the false teaching in Colossae had two parts. It called for the worship of angels for, for on one hand, and then it called for these strict aesthetic regulations on the other. And both of these were set up as a requirement for those who wanted to be close to God. Who's ever said, God, I just want to be close to you. Uh, draw me nearer to you, Lord. And then after you get done praying that prayer, you go make a to-do list of what you need to do to make it happen. Have you ever done that? I've, I've done that. That's, I just want to tell you that's dumb. I'm not calling you dumb. I'm saying I've done it too. That's just dumb. Let's don't do that. Let's press into Christ. Paul, Paul denounced both of these requirements. He said their theology was wrong because what did he say in verse 9 up there? He says, all the fullness and deity of God dwells in Christ, not angels. Right? The fullness that you're looking for is in Christ, yes. right? And their aesthetic regulations with food and drink were useless because they were only shadows of the reality that was Jesus. You're worshiping these shadows that you don't, you worship, you're doing these weird things. Come to Christ. And what happens is even if you follow these aesthetic practices and regulations and you worship shadows instead of the substance, all those things are only going to lead you to pride. It doesn't lead you to Jesus. 
it leads you to pride. And the only hope for spiritual growth and health in your life, in the body of Christ, the church, is a personal clinging to Jesus. Not exclusivist regulations. A clinging to Jesus. Because those things don't set you apart. Who sets you apart? Jesus. He sets you apart. Not the things you do. And Paul summarized this in verse 19. He summarized these people in verse 19 as people who aren't holding on to Christ. They're looking beyond Christ, adding to Christ. Even Jesus echoes this in John 15, 5. If you can write that down, it's not going to be on the screen. John 15, 5 is, I'm the vine and you are the branches. That gives you a beautiful picture, right? If a man remains in me, the vine, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. How many of us try to follow Christ without Christ? It's crazy, right? We are crazy sometimes. Let's read 20 and 22. If, there's the big word, if you died with Christ to the elements of this world, then why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to the regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. He's been sarcastic. It's okay, student. I love that. There's sarcasm in the Bible sometimes. All these regulations refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. They are human standards and doctrines. And so the implications of these verses is that a church that set up regulations to follow as a means to qualify, they don't know what it means to die with Christ and be freed from the world. They may meet on a Sunday morning, but I would say they may not be a church full of Christ and the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of churches that meet in church buildings that aren't churches. Can we just say that this morning? Just be blunt. Can we do that? I'm all about hitting the head on. Whatever authentic, excuse me, wherever authentic, passionate dependency on Christ fades, guess what happens? Regulations are brought in to mimic what the power of Christ once created. You see that? Wherever that passionate pursuit, that desire for Christ, that discipleship, that missional mindset, that we're going to plant churches, we're going to send missionaries, we're going to love Christ, we're going to live a lifestyle of repentance, where that leaves, we try to recreate that with religion and legalism. If I follow this and this, Jesus might come back in our church. That never happens. The only way back is through repentance. I want to tell you this. If you add enough religion, I can tell you this from experience. If you add enough religion and enough processes and procedures and you build a big enough organization, that organization can endure for years after the spiritual life that brought it into existence is dead. It's a hard topic. But it's real. This is why the church is being sifted right now. And what I'm saying is there are hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of dead churches in our area that are meeting right now. And there are people that attend there on a weekly basis. And they have no clue because they've been deceived by Satan to follow a religion instead of a person. And I'm telling you this morning, they don't understand the mission of God. It's because all they know is religion. I'm supposed to be here and I'm supposed to be here and listen to the pastor and sing songs and I'm supposed to serve once a week, once a month, however I'm scheduled. I'm supposed to do all these things and then gotta love me and I'm gonna go about my business and this is how my life is set up. It's nice columns and rows and I can control it. But that's not how Jesus has called the church to live. And there's churches that are dying right now. They're they're preaching a half gospel right now, and Satan is loving it. We have to be a church that is red hot, passionate for Jesus willing to repent of our sins, 
willing to get on our faces in worship and understanding that it's not about us, it's not about you or me, it's about Jesus being glorified through us. What he says in verse 20, if you died with Christ to the elements of this world, some of us in the room maybe have not died with Christ. We're still hanging on because we're hanging on to our image. I don't want to look stupid. If I raise my hands in worship, I don't want to look stupid if I ask if I can pray for this person. I don't want to look stupid if I come to somebody for discipleship. I don't want to look stupid if I'm a leader here and I don't know Jesus and I need to get saved. I don't want to look stupid. It's still about you. And it's still about me if we're doing that. And we have to get over that. Let's look at Colossians 2, 23, the last verse. All of these things have a reputation for wisdom. I love that language. A reputation for wisdom. These things seem good. If you read your Bible, that's good, Right? If I pray, that's good. If I go to church, that's good. If I serve, that's good. If I fast or speak in tongues or prophesy, all these things, those things are good. They have a reputation for being full of wisdom, but by promoting self-made religion, false humility, and severe treatment to the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. So religious requirements or legalism will never produce a group of people who are committed to living in the spirit instead of in the flesh. Ever. Never happen. And so let me tell you, a church or a Christian who's living in legalism or under spiritual religious regulations, they'll fall into two categories. They're either going to slowly, they're slowly dying spiritually because they've taken their eyes off of Christ and put it on regulations, or that they've been deceived and they need to be set free. And I think maybe those go hand in hand, being set free. Some of us need to be set free in here this morning of religion and legalism. Some of us do, and I pray that God would give you the bonus to do that this morning. Because like I said, you can't follow Christ without Christ. There's three fast, really three fast things that I want to kind of point out to you this morning that I, I gained from this, this week. The first thing is, is legalism is a form of idolatry. Legalism is a form of idolatry. It's self. It's idolatry of self. It's self-idolatry. I'm, I'm worshiping myself. And anytime a believer insists on doing blank or not doing blank to be a Christian or to be loved by God, or to be a better Christian, they're implying that their salvation comes by works. You see that? Or they're implying that your sustenance, your sustaining is, is, is required, works are required. And that's not true. They're replacing Jesus as the only way of salvation, the, only, the other ways to be saved, or the way to stay saved. And what's happened is this is a sneaky form of idolatry that replaces Jesus with works of man as the way to follow Christ. And so, let me tell you, we may say that Jesus is the only way, but sometimes we contradict our own words sometimes by how we live, right? And like we preach on Facebook to our families, to our friends, we preach Jesus. I'm going to pray for you. Jesus is the only way. This is the gospel. We preach that there's one way to God, but we live other options are endless, right? If there's only one way to God... That creates some urgency in how we live. Because Satan wants you to live how you want to live and open up the options to everybody. That's called a Gnostic. They're, they're alive and well in our culture today. There's pastors preaching this heresy today. John Piper said, I love John Piper today apparently. He said, the moral legalist is always the elder brother of the immoral prodigal. The moral legalist is always the elder brother of the immoral prodigal. They are blood brothers in God's sight because both reject the sovereign mercy of God in Christ as a means of righteousness 
and use either morality or immorality as a mean of expressing their independence and self-sufficiency and self-determination. What a statement. I'm not that smart to bring that in. So there it is. Um, it's big. Let me just dumb it down for you. It's saying I can do it all by myself. My little boy loves Legos. I got big fingers, and it's hard for me to do Legos, right? This joker, I want to help him because he's struggling. I'm like, Brock, let me help you out. I got it, Daddy. I can do it by myself, right? I, let me I, can, I got it. I can do it by myself until he gets frustrated, blows the whole thing. I said, I could have helped you. We do that in our relationship with God. I can do it all by myself. I don't need you. I don't need your I got this. Let me show you how good I am. Look at how good I am. God, love me, right? And this is the great lie of legalism. Me following this set of rules well means I follow Jesus well. Remember, I work for my minimum wage job for eight hours Monday through Friday. I get my $208. I'm good, right? No, wrong. Remember, we're transferred from this kingdom to this kingdom. It's new thinking. The reality is, in this moment, you've recreated a system of worship, and you removed Jesus, and you relied on yourself for salvation. You see what I'm saying? You're removing Jesus from the equation when you're saying, I can do it by myself. I got it. Look how good I am. And the, personal, the person struggling with legalism and religion, they think that spiritual disciplines are a means to get God. If I do, I get more of God. And Paul says in 1 Timothy that that's teachings given by demons. Go look at it. It's in 2 Timothy. He says this is, this, this is the teachings of demons. That's what he says. Guys, you get God through Jesus. That's the only way to God. Jesus himself said the way to the Father is through me. They're like, what else? What, what else? Jesus is like, that's it. That's it. It's a simple gospel. Follow me. I'll give you God. Right? You get there. Complete. Right? All these things happen. What happens, though, is legalism is, is we follow these sets of rules. We go through the rituals. And if we succeed, guess what? We fall to pride because we feel superior to someone else. And if we fail, we feel we're full of shame and like the other people are superior to us. You see the trap. You can't win. You try to follow a set of rules. You're either prideful and you're no good for the church or you're full of shame and you're no good for the church. Your gifts are out the window because you're not useful. You see what I'm saying? You, you, you get full of shame. You're not going to be vulnerable. You're not going to be open for God at use. You get full of pride. You're going to be puffed up and prideful and divisive. God wants you to be dependent on him. That's the trap of legalism. John 14, 6. Jesus told them, I am the what? The way, the truth, and the life. What's the next two words? No one comes to the Father except through me. Right. It doesn't say no one comes to the Father except through legalism. No one comes to the Father except through keeping the law or being a legalist. No one comes to the Father except coming through me. And let me, let me just shoot down some thoughts in here this morning that are happening. I know they are. The point two. Legalism knows no boundaries. Some of y'all in here are thinking that, you know, when I say religion or legalist, you have this word picture in your mind, don't you? You have this word picture. I bet a lot of you are picturing a man in a suit, a Baptist or a Methodist. Somebody goes to church every week and is like, ah, he's a legalist, he's a Pharisee. Look at that Pharisee. You know, I bet we thought about that, right? But let me tell you, the legalist can look like the Baptist keeping all the rules or a charismatic thinking that a worship style or spiritual experiences set them apart. It's no one's exempt. We're all legalists and religious in this room at some points in our life that we need to come and submit to Jesus as our king. 
Legalism is a form of spiritual or religious elitism. Elitism. You hear that? Legalism is a form of spiritual or religious elitism. Elitism. And it sets up a list of items that allows you to measure your spirituality. Let me just tell you this morning, if you're measuring your spirituality against other people, there's some issues, right? There's some issues that may be unhealthy that we need to address possibly. I don't know. Because what's happening is you're setting yourself above or you're setting yourself below someone else. Guess what that is? That's religious hierarchy. You see where this goes? This leads you down this dark, dark path. We have to remember that Christ, Christian unity, Christian unity does not equal uniformity. Hear that. Christian unity does not equal uniformity. If we all look the same, acted the same, worship the same, spoke the same, related to one another the same, that would be so boring. And I think it wouldn't glorify God the way the church was meant to glorify God. A bunch of people that don't act, look, feel, or see this, uh, they all come together and are unified around Jesus. That's what makes a beautiful church, right? One, of the, one way to spot legalism or spiritual elitism in the church or in yourself is there's an unhealthy expectations of other Christians to model on, or excuse me, uniform religious practices or responses. Check that out. They need to respond to God like blank. They need to do blank. If I'm doing that, that means I'm struggling in that realm of possibly struggling with legalism or religion that I need to die to. Because guess what? Even the person who is free in Christ can be deceived into putting expectations or rules on other people based on their experiences. You see that? And we're in danger of that. But don't get me wrong, guys. There's similarities in how we relate to God and come before him in awe and wonder. But the foot and the head and the arm and the leg and the knee, the way the foot relates to the head, the way the elbow relates to the head, the hand relates to the head, and the ear relates to the head and worships the head, the head's Jesus, is different. The body is, is made of different parts that function differently and worship differently. That, and that diversity is what makes the body so pleasing to God. The similarity that is so important is submission. Submission. Are you being obedient to what the head is calling you to do? The rule is Christ. Let me ask you this. Is the person that you may be thinking about, or the people that you may be thinking about, is Christ evident in that person, right? Is the Holy Spirit at work in someone as described in scripture, not as defined by our experiences, because this has to be the filter as we hold one another accountable. But scripture, the word of God, it must be held to the highest standard. The word of God is our God. Every word. God gave us his word to, to contain our wondering, because I wonder, my goodness. And he gave us his word to guide our seeking of him. If you go beyond this, you're in danger. If you don't go the full measure, you're in danger. Number three, this is the last thing we're going to talk about today is the remedy. If you've ever had legalism in your life or religion in your life or your church, the remedy for legalism is exalting Christ. The, the remedy for that is exalting Christ. The way this happens is through intimate relationship and radical obedience right? Intimate relationship and radical obedience. And we see in verse 19, the only hope for mature and maturity and unity in the body of Christ is clinging to Jesus, not more regulations that we set up. It's Christ that sets us apart, not our rule keeping. Remember we talked about last week, 
We continue in Christ the way we came to Christ. And spiritual maturity and unity are the goals that God set up for us to follow and to get to. And let me tell you something this morning. Spiritual maturity is more tied to your obedience than time you spent following Jesus. You could have followed Jesus a long time. Follow Jesus. I use this word loosely, right? But your obedience to him is what's going to expedite your maturity. You saying, hey, I'm a Christian, don't mean anything. Jesus says you'll know them by their fruit. And your, your level of obedience to God, let me tell you this. And his word is always determined by your knowing of God. How, much, how well you know God. Guys, knowledge, who, who knows knowledge is a good thing? Knowledge is good, right? In the biblical, in the biblical Greek, two, there's two words for to know, to know. One leads us towards legalism and religion, and the other leads us away from it. I love that there's two definitions for knowledge. One leads us to Jesus, and one leads us away. Oida, O-I-D-A, I don't think I put that on the screen. O-I-D-A, that's one word for to know. And that means to have knowledge of, to know, to have knowledge of. Um, there's another word, it's gnosko, it's G-I-N-O-S-K-O, and it means to know by experience. You see the difference? So we have intellectual knowledge and we have experiential knowledge. You see these two things, how they're different? I can be puffed up with pride over here. Over here, I'm, I'm humbled because God just, I know God. This gnosko knowing is what Paul was referring to in Philippians 3.8, my favorite verse in the Bible. I consider everything a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The difference is Paul saying, I want to know, gnosko Christ, the word gnosko in the, in the scriptures is often described, it describes the knowing that's involved in building intimate relationships with another person. If you look in the New, New Testament where the Bible talks about husband and wife relationships, sexual relationships, it's talking about gnosko. Like, I don't, oida, my wife, I don't know about her, I know her intimately, spiritually, emotionally, physically, mentally, I know her in all the ways. There's a difference in that, right? And I'll give you an example. I know about Abraham Lincoln. I've read books about him. I love history. I knew he was a guy, man of integrity and good character. I knew he had a lot of courage to fight for his country. But I only know about Abraham Lincoln because I've never met him. Another example, this is a little more PG-13 for you guys in here. Um, I know about a kiss, right? When I was a kid, I knew about it. I heard that you exchanged tongues and spit. A lot of y'all are like, that's awkward. You ever had a kiss? You ever complained? Right? Right? Let's just be real. Let's just be real for a second, man. It doesn't sound appealing. But when I kissed my wife for the first time, I was like, this is awesome. This is great. I know her now. We're, this is wonderful. You see, just to know about God isn't enough. I need gnosko. I need an experience with him intimately to know him. And that's what destroys legalism, right? I share that with you because when you're trying to follow Jesus in some dark and desperate days, you need to know Jesus. It's not enough to know about God. When you read the Bible and learn that, that God is omnipotent, and he's omniscient, and he's omnipresent, and he knows all things, he's all-powerful, and he's everywhere, that's all wonderful and good. But if God is only a concept in your mind and does nothing for you, right? It's, it's not a list of facts. There's an experiential knowledge, a gnosko, that makes our obedience easier and living under the bondage of religion harder. 
What good is it to know God is omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, unless he is all those things to you by experience, right? Let me tell you, from experience in dark and desperate days, don't settle for knowledge about God. You need an intimate relationship with Jesus, a gnosko. And this is what Paul was hammering home in Philippians. This is his own life. He said, this is my one thing. I press on because I want to know him. He didn't, he didn't want to just know about Jesus. He wanted to experience Jesus, to experience the power of his resurrection because death was coming at him every day. He was getting persecuted. I believe the church right now, the big C church is on the verge of a great awakening, coming alive in Christ for again. I believe the church, the Lord is sifting his church to see whose faith is authentic. I believe there's a lot of people that won't pass the test. I believe the only way you'll enter into his presence on that day is by intimately knowing Jesus. Guys, this is kingdom culture. This is kingdom culture to know Jesus and to follow him all the days of your life, not just a list of do's or don'ts. To be a part of the kingdom, Jesus has to be your king. And as we close, my question for you this morning is, is is Christ preeminent in your life? Is he before all things? Are you drawing on his power or depending on some man-made religious system as a substitute? I was listening to a song on the church this morning. Many of you know the song, but I just want to read you the lyrics. As I was listening to this song, I started crying because I was praying to God to soften my heart. Soften my heart, Lord. Soften my heart. Soften my heart. And I was thinking about this sermon, and I was thinking about what it meant. And it got to this verse. It says, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wondering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. This morning, I don't know if you've struggled with a, a, a culture of legalism in your life. I'm not sure if where you're at in your spiritual life. I'm not sure if you just know about God. You've never had a spiritual, intimate experiential relationship with Jesus that you know him and he knows you. But I pray this morning that you would let those chains fall. Let that yoke of slavery fall because Jesus has died for you so that you can live in him. Not just follow a set of rules or regulations, but to live fully in him. I prayed, I'm not sure who I prayed for this morning, but I pray God would set someone free this morning of legalism, of religion, of living under this oppression, of just attending church, of just going to connect group, or just going to the, this next spiritual event, but that you would live in Christ and live in a kingdom culture and come alive in him. But you can't do that until you know the gospel. And the gospel is that you're a sinner. God created you to live with him in relationship with him, unhindered relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And because of your sin, that relationship was broken. And so that's why you have these ups and downs in your life. But God sent Jesus who knew no sin. He was on the throne in heaven ruling, telling the stars where to shine and telling the sun when to come up and go down. He came to earth, lived a life that was perfect because you couldn't live that perfect life. And he died on the cross for you because you deserve to die on the cross because of your sin, because you broke God's holy commands. And he gave you a way to enter into his presence again by trusting in Jesus. All you have to do is look to Jesus and say, God, I believe, I trust, I know that he is the king, and I submit to you by following him the rest of my life. Not by following a standard, by following him. And so this morning, if that's you, you say, hey, Michael, I need freedom. I need freedom. I'm not sure if it's from religion or if it's from sin. If it's from sin, you need to be saved. If it's from religion, you need just to 
come and just repent. But I pray that you would be bold and go to one of our prayer guys over here on the corner on the sides of the wall, and ladies, guys was, you know, all-inclusive. But that you guys would feel free in doing that. My only prayer this morning is that you would be bold and say yes to Jesus if he's calling you to do that. So this morning, if you just bow your heads, I just want to give you an opportunity to respond. Because anytime the word of God is is spoken out, we're called to respond. And the longer we wait to respond, the colder our hearts get and the harder our hearts get. So this morning, I pray that you would be bold in your response. So this morning, if you've heard the gospel for the first time, or if you've heard that there's freedom in Christ for the first time in this way, if you've heard that you may be living in sin through living in legalism, you need to be set free from that, or you need to be, or you need to receive Christ, or you just need someone to pray for you through some things. I just want to ask you to be bold, just like Christ, as he walked up the hill of Calvary naked and was crucified for you, that you would just lift your hand and say, that's me this morning, Michael. I, I need that. Is that anybody in this room this morning? I want to pray with you. Amen. Anybody else this morning? Okay. I want to pray for you. And as I pray, you come. Don't, don't, don't hold back from what the Lord is trying to do in your life. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for the word. We thank you for your love for us, God, that, that you have been patient with us. God, that you are drawing us to yourself still. God, I pray for the person here this morning that has a hard heart. I pray that you would soften it. God, I pray for this morning the, the person here that is, has a soft heart and God is just nervous about uh, just being in public. I pray that you would just bring that person to, to their knees and surrender to you, Father. Lord, bring them to their knees with your love. Let them know how much you love them. God, wash over us with your love this morning. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.